Masechet Yevamot, Avkof Yod Bet. The Mishnah mentioned the case where a Yavam and Yevama are living together, and then um, within 30 days, the Yevama comes to court and said, Hey, this guy still did not consummate the marriage. He did not perform Yibum, and he's stringing me along. I think I was going to explain that. There's no matter case where he also he actually gave her a get uh, before he had Biyah with her, and so now it would be prohibited for, from that, for them to do Yibum, and so that leaves her as an Aguna, because uh, uh, she can't be with him, and he is not um, letting her go. And so this is a problem. And so the court will force him to do Halisa uh, because he gave her a get already, and that cannot do Yibum, and she has a right to go and marry someone else, so we force him to do Halisa. Okay, opening question. That's within 30 days, because within 30 days we assume, yeah, sometimes people wait to consummate their marriage within 30 days, uh, uh, they'll, uh, you know, they want to um, uh, maybe get to know each other a little better, they're uh, still embarrassed from each other, whatever reason, and so that's why we, we do believe her claim. So the question is, who is the Tana that said this, that would say, that would agree, that before, until 30 days, a person restrains himself, that um, this would apply also to a married, regular married couple, not only to a Yavam and Yavama, where um, we would assume that uh, for thirty days, for the first thirty days, it's very possible that they did not have bi'ah. Um, then he's restraining himself for whatever reason. They're getting to know each other. Okay. Amar Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says this is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. We see this in the following beraita and the Tanya. This is not about yibum, but rather ta'anat betulim. This is when a man comes after the after the the wedding night or whenever they have first bi'ah, and he comes and says, "Hey, she told me she was a betula, and after bi'ah there was no there was no uh, um, blood. She was not, in fact, she 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 does not have signs of her virginity, and uh, this has." monetary consequences because the ketuvah for a betula is much more uh, than a non-betula and therefore 200 zoos instead of 100 zoos and therefore he says I don't want to pay her ketuvah this is a uh, this is false pretense, and so I'm out. Uh, so this is a um, this is a claim. Now, when do we believe the claim? The Bimeir says within 30 days uh, we believe his claim, uh, even though it's not after the wedding night. Uh, maybe it's a week or two weeks or three weeks after. It could very well be that they waited and didn't consummate right away. That makes sense. After 30 days, then we're like, oh, I think you're just lying. Maybe you just now decided you don't like her anymore and you want to get your money back, and then you're making a false claim. But within 30 days. If he comes right away, uh, we do believe him. That's the Bimeir. So you see, the Bimeir, it makes sense. He assumes that a person may wait, restrain himself for 30 days, and that's what he would say here also in our Mishnah. As opposed to the Biyose Omer, Nistera Le'altar, Lo Nistera Aflachar Kamashanim. The Biyose says it's not an exact cutoff day of 30 days. Uh, we just see if they were secluded together. Um, if we see, now, you know, maybe there's witnesses that see that they were in Yehud, they were secluded together. So then we can assume probably they had bi'ah because as soon as they're secluded, they've been waiting, they've been going out, they were engaged, now they got married, so they probably had bi'ah. So he has to come and make the claim immediately. Um, and uh, if they if they were not secluded, uh, maybe they were in different countries uh, during the time or she was in his father's house, whatever reason, they were not actually living together, then even if it's many years later, so then he, as the first time, 
that they are secluded, he still has a right to claim ta'anat betulim because we can assume that they were not together that whole time. So it's not about 30 days or not 30, di- 30 days, but rather the f- after the first time that they are secluded. So you see, the Biyosef doesn't have anything about 30 days, so he is not the Tana of our Mishnah. That's uh, the Biyochanan. Rabbah, however, Amad, he says, Afilu tema de No, we can fit with the Biyosef. We don't want to we don't want to make the Mishnah only to be Meir. We'd rather have all possibilities open. When he made it very well agree in our case over there, where it's talking about his own um, his own Arusa. Uh, his fiance, and so uh, the, his fiance, he is accustomed to her. He likes her. He desires her. After all, he chose her, and they were going out. And so there, we have to assume, you know, the first time that they are alone together after their marriage is permitted. Uh, so uh, we can assume that that is going to be the bia, first bia. So he's got to make the taanat betulim immediately, whenever they are together, whether it's the first night of marriage or after many years. But regarding his brother's wife, the Yavam and Yevama, there, there, he's embarrassed from her, right? Until now, she was his sister-in-law, Erva. He was keeping away. He didn't think about her. And now all of a sudden, uh, uh, he has to take her as a wife. Um, and so he takes, it may take time. The first, uh, first time they're secluded together, he may be embarrassed. And so therefore, it makes sense. It may take up to 30 days. We would still believe her claim that, hey, he never had be ah with me. That's believed since he can also be the author of our Mishnah. All right. Ad shekofin oto lachalos nichpenu liyabem. Now here's a question. If she comes to the court and claims, hey, it's been uh, it's been already three weeks and he's not he has no be ah with me and so he's not doing yibum, right? You know, come on, in or out. And so why does the Mishnah say we force him to do Chalisa? Why not say force him to do Yibum? And that way she'll be married. I mean, the point is, one way or another, we want her to be able to have some husband uh, to have some life to, the, to continue. So why, why force him? Why not have the choice? Give him the choice to enforce him to do Yibum. Amara b'shegita yotzeh mitachat yada. Rav says, must be talking about a case where she produces a get and says, he gave me a get. Now, if you give a get, if a man, if a yavam gives a yavama a get before he boom, then that does not sever the relationship. But the get does not sever the zika, but it is effective to the extent that he or any of the other brothers cannot do yibum after that. And so, since she produces a get, now she's stuck. Can't do yibum, can't marry anybody else. So that explains why. We force him to do halisa. Okay, uh, maybe even without Av, you can kind of explain if he waited so long. Like uh, he means that he's dragging her along, so maybe that's why we force her, force him to do halisa. If he wanted to do yibum, he probably would have done it already. Okay, but Av makes that unkimta. Now metibe, we challenge Av from the following Braita, which is going to be talking about giving a get. And now, if she already has a get, why would this Braita talk about? Giving a get a second time. Okay, but that goes through a few cases. That's the case, same as the first case in the Mishnah. Within 30 days, she says, no, he didn't have Bi'ah with me. And it doesn't matter what he says. Because we believe her. If See, even if he says, I did, or if for sure if he says, I didn't, and he's agreeing with her, 
In either case, we will force him to do chalisa. Good. After 30 days, we really assume that, you know what, probably uh, they had bi'ah, because it's after 30 days. And so, maybe now she's all of a sudden asking for it. So, therefore, we do request, the court requests him to do chalisa, uh, because, you know, there is a problem, that she, a doubt that she's bringing up, but we don't require it, we don't force him, because... Probably he did be He omitted nibalti, who omitted lo baalti, hareze yosi beget. This is also after 30 days. She says there was bi'ah, and he says, no, there was not bi'ah. Um, uh, so in that case, she he has to give her a get. In this case, because it's after 30 days, our presumption is probably they did have bi'ah, and therefore we cannot allow them to, her to go free with halisa. And so therefore, in this case, uh, since there is some, some doubt, so you know what, just give her a get and leave and leave. But no halisa is necessary in the case, in this case after 30 days. However, who omed ba'alti he omedet lo nivalti. He says I did bi'ah. She says no, he didn't do bi'ah and after 30 days. In this case, you need both. Uh, he says, yes, there was bi'ah. She says no after 30 days. So the reason why this is different, first of all, you need a get, because it is after 30 days, so we presume that a man is not going to restrain himself, the couple will not restrain themselves, so probably they did have bi'ah. So you got you, you have to have a get, because you need to get after bi'ah, after yibum, in order for them to leave. But in this case, we require also chalisa, since she is the one that at first said, lo ba'alti. By saying lo ba'alti, she is making herself prohibited. She's kind of admitting that I still have a zika with this man and uh, I can't just get, leave with a get. So she's making life harder for herself. Therefore, we uh, impose that obligation because she, was, she, wasn't, she wouldn't be lying and making life harder for herself. Even if he changes his mind and says, Lo ba'alti, uh, who says we should believe his second statement any more than his first? And his first makes more sense because it's after 30 days, and therefore we require Getsun's probably a bi'ah, and we require Chalisas, and she said that she didn't, so she can't, we can't allow her to go free without Chalisa. Okay, the question here is, it says that you need a get. Look, in these uh, couple of cases, you need a get. So question Tarav, if she already has a get, why would you require her to give another, have, give another get? A couple of answers. Now, to be a mess is when it says she requires a get, doesn't mean a get only. I mean, yes, she already has a get, and now she requires halisa in addition to the get that she already got. That's what it means here. It's missing words. All right, a little hard to read that in. You have to add words here. But Avashe says more simply, Ahmad, Hatam get lezikato, hacha get lebiato. When Rav was talking about a get, he was talking about a get after the zika before yibum, before they had bi'ah. That kind of get does not sever the relationship. It only makes it prohibited to do Boom. That's what that was explaining the Mishnah, why you have to do force him to do Khalisa in this case, and you can't do Yibum. But uh, it does since it does not sever the relationship, if they do um, have bi'ah after that, even if it's prohibited, uh, nevertheless they will require another get as as well uh, afterwards. So hacha, so here in this Badaita, when it says it require a get, it's talking about a get after the bi'ah that we uh, suspect. They probably had since it was after 30 days, and so everything makes perfect sense.
Good. Han hu shenehem modim te'atu lekameh derava. We had a couple, yavam and yava, and they admitted we did not we did not have bi'ah. In other words, this is kind of like the last case here, except he didn't change his mind. from the To, to begin with, he said, no bi'ah. So they both say, no bi'ah. Okay, good. So it sounds like we can believe them. Amar lehu lava, halosula ushrula tigra. Well, since you both admit that there was no bi'ah, fine, do chalitza, and then let let resolve the case, let her go and remarry. Amar says, hold on, the Braita says that you require both get and chalitza because it's after 30 days. And therefore, we assume that uh, probably they did consummate the relationship. And therefore, uh, we require both get v'chalisa. And uh, so Rava said, oh, if it's a b'naita, I, wouldn't, I didn't realize uh, you're right. Uh, then uh, I will admit to you and require both of them. Good. This is a person's name, Hon, the son of Rav Nachman, asked his father, Rav Nachman, Sarata Mahu. Let's say I have a case where they um, they have some kind of dispute, like the ones about, and we force the guy to do chalitza uh, with her, um, or give a get, or we ask him to. Um, what about if there was a co-wife? Now, normally, a co-wife uh, is exempt once uh, once one wife does yibum. And so, you know, once they are living together, we kind of presume, okay, good, now they did yibum, right? We don't have to watch the actual act. We presume that they consummate, and then the co-wife can go free. But now, all of a sudden, she comes to court and says, oh, wait, he never did, he never had bi'ah with me. And so she requires something. Will we require the co-wife to have something done for her? Some kind of chalitza. Um, uh, I mean, if he ends up to giving, doing chalitza to the first wife that he took, the first yeah, um, uh, co-wife that he took, then, yeah, she'll be okay. But until then, right, are we going to require, hey, you better wait and let, make him do chalitza with you also, co-wife, or wait till he does chalitza with the first one? He says, what, just because we are forcing or asking this, uh, the Yavam the to do chalitza with one, the co-wife should be prohibited? She is coming with a claim. Usually, our, we presume that they had bi'ah. Most people, that bi'ah right away. So that's the presumption. Here, because she is making a claim and making herself, giving herself problems, and adding prohibitions to herself because there's no bias, so now she she can't go out with the get, she can't be with him. Um, so we going to we are going to be machmir and say, hey, you better give get better do something to take care of this wife because of her claim. But we're only doing it because of her claim. If she never came to court, we would not we wouldn't do anything. So therefore, the co-wife we can just presume that they had bi'ah and the co-wife is okay. So don't worry about her. Very good. Okay, the last part of the last Mishnah of this Perek mentioned the case where Hanoderet Hana'a, a woman, while she's married to her husband, says, I vow not to have any benefit from my brother-in-law. I don't like him. Uh, he's not invited over. I'm not going to his house. Okay, if uh, it was directed only at the brother-in-law because she doesn't like him, but without in having in mind, boom, and then she all of a sudden falls as a Yevama, in that case, she did not intend to prevent the Yibum, uh, so we forced him, because they can't now they can't do Yibum, because you can't 
get married without any hana'ah, so that we force him to do uh, chalitza. If, however, she makes this vow after her husband dies, or even in, his, in the life of her husband, but she has in mind, listen, you know, I'm not, I'm not having kids if my, my husband is sick. If I ever should fall to this guy for you, boom, I'm being vowing, I will have no hana'ah from him ever. So even though it's during his, her husband's lifetime, she did it on purpose to prevent the possibility of, of Yibum. In that case, we ask, the court requests that he does Chalitza. She doesn't want it. Um, but they do not force. That's the Mishnah. Now we're going to bring another Mishnah altogether, but we'll see how it's, it's connected. Tenan HaTam, a Mishnah in Masechet Nedarim. At first, the law was that the rabbi said, there are three claims that a woman can have in which she will force the man to give her a get, and she can collect her ketubah. What are they? A woman comes and says, I am tamet to you. It must be talking about a case where she's married to a kohen, and she is raped. She comes and says, you know, I was forced, and but now, because, it, because it's a kohen, normally if someone's married to Israel, and she's raped, she can stay with the Israel. Any woman who willingly is not faithful has to leave. But in this case, she's raped, but she's married to Kohen. Kohen can't be with her anymore. So it's not her fault. She didn't do anything wrong. And therefore, he is forced to divorce her, and she does collect her ketubah. And the other cases, if she's willing, uh, she's unfaithful, she loses her ketubah, but not here. Second case, Hashamayim beni lebencha. She says, heaven is between me and you, by which she means, even though there's no witnesses to the matter, heaven knows that you are not fulfilling your conjugal responsibilities. Um, you're having uh, some kind of problems and you're not fulfilling or not. It's a basic thing in the Torah, in the Ketubah. And therefore, I demand my Ketubah and I'm leaving because you're not fulfilling your responsibility. Yes, he has. he's forced to do that. Netula Anim Hayodim, third case. She makes a vow and says, I'm withdrawing myself from all Jews. In other words, I am forbidding myself to have relations with anybody. I mean, non-Jews, she's not allowed to anyway. Um, maybe maybe it's difficult for her, maybe it's uh, painful for her to have relations, so she says, I'm out. And uh, now, uh, this is a problem because now her husband can't be with her, she gets uh, her, collects her ketubah, and she, uh, and she leaves the relation, she has to give her a get. That was the original law. But then, They said this is a problem because there could be a case of a woman who will take advantage of this law. And maybe she actually saw another man that she likes better. And she wants to ruin her relationship with her husband. But she also wants to get the ketuvah. I mean, she can always, you know, she can always demand a get but, or, 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 or be unfaithful. She loses her ketuvah. So this is a way she can make any of these claims and they go unchecked. And she uh, may take advantage of it. And this is a problem. So they revised the law. If a woman who's married to a queen comes and says, I was raped, she has to bring some corroboration that that is in fact the case. And then she can collect her ketubah and leave. She says, my husband is not fulfilling his conjugal responsibilities. In that case, the court will request of him, hey, please, you know, do something, figure something out, go to therapy, uh, and, um, uh, and find a, a good solu- a compromise solution. 
which would be better. And the third, the Tula Ani Min HaYehudim, Yafed Chalko Mishamashto Utech Netula Min HaYehudim. If she makes a vow, I am uh, prohibited to all Jews, the husband has a right to undo any vow that hath, that relates to him. So he will undo his part of the vow so that she will be permitted to him even though she remains prohibited to everyone else, uh, for everyone else. And uh, she then will be permitted to have relations with him and uh, not with anybody else. And that will solve the problem. So that's the Mishnah in Nedarim. Now, Iba Yalehu, a question about this Mishnah, the last case, was came before the rabbis. When a woman vows and says, I am prohibited for, of having uh, intimate relations with all Jews, does that include the Yavam? Now, she's, uh, she is still married to her husband. So uh, the point is, does it mean all Jews or all eligible Jews that she could possibly marry? And at that point in time, that Yavam is her brother-in-law. So she doesn't have in mind, she, not, she doesn't have in mind, uh, you know, Jews that are deceased. She doesn't have in mind uh, Jews that are uh, her uh, erva. Uh, she has in mind people that are eligible. Uh, is that true? Um, uh, so does, did she have her, her husband, uh, the Yavam, in mind? Is she having in mind, hey, you know what, at any, more, at any point, my husband may die, and we don't have children, and therefore, or, I'll say, I do have children, and my children may die, and my husband may die, and I have to fall to Yibum, to my brother-in-law, and so since she has that in the back of her mind somewhere, so she includes him in the vow, or maybe not. Maybe she means all eligible people now. No one thinks uh, thinks that this is really going to happen. That they're going to have to fall to yibum. And so in that in that case, she would be permitted to do yibum even though she made this vow. That was the question. And two opinions. Rav Amar Yavam eno kebaal. Ushmael Amar Yavam harehu kebaal. Rav says the Yavam is not like the husband. She intended her husband and other eligible people, and the Yavam was out of her mind. The Yavam was out of her mind, right? She was not thinking of the Yavam, and therefore she is permitted to do Yibum. Shemuel says the Yavam is like the Baal, right? The Yavam is in the is in place of him, and when she has in mind all people, she thinks about her husband, and she thinks about the replacement of her husband, who may be her Yavam in case he dies, and therefore uh, she would be prohibited from doing uh, Yibum with him. That's the machloket. Now, Now, this is why we're bringing this whole thing here, because Abaye says, I have a proof for Rav from our Mishnah. Our Mishnah taught that if she makes a vow, I will not have any benefit from my brother-in-law, and she does that during the life of her husband. So, in that case, we force him to do chalitza. Now, if you would agree with Shmuel that says she does have her yavam in mind when um, she makes a vow against all people, so too we should assume that she has the yavam in mind when she makes this vow um, against him. That, in other words, she has in mind, she, she makes, she's for sure making the vow against him. But the question is, does she have in mind that I may fault him as a Yevama? 
Um, so according to Shemuel, yes, we he does she does think she is considering that, and therefore in this case also, even though the husband is alive, we can presume that when she makes a vow against her brother-in-law, she is having in mind that I may fall to him to Yibum. And if this is the case, if that's the case that she is does have that in mind, so she wants to be prevented from doing Yibum, then we should not force him, him to do Chalitza. It should be like the second and third case of the Mishnah, where it says, Mevakshin that we only request of him and not force him. So all the cases, no matter what, should be only requesting and not forcing. But since it's not true, the Mishnah doesn't say that. The Mishnah says if it's during the lifetime uh, of her husband, we assume that she did not have her husband in mind. So you see that Rav is right. Okay, brilliant proof by on the part of Abaye. Now we say, maybe not. Maybe our Mishnah is talking about a case where she has children. Since she has children, she's not, she's not going to have in mind that, oh, just in case one day all my children die first, and then my husband dies, and then I'll be, I'll fall to Yivama. There's no way she's having all that in mind when she makes the vow. She just really hates his brother-in-law, and her, his, her brother-in-law doesn't want to go to his house and anything. Um, and that's what our Mishnah is talking about. Whereas the Mishnah in Darim was talking about a case where uh, she did not have children, and that's how, um, that's why there is a difference. And so I can even explain this according to Shemuel. But we say, So you're saying that in our Mishnah, in the case of our Mishnah, if she didn't have children, then we would only request that he give a Duchalitza because then we would presume that she did have her Yavam, uh, yavam in mind. When she prohibit, when she made a vow against uh, all benefit, in that case, the Mishnah should have said so. The Mishnah did make a distinction, and so instead of making this more far out distinction that if she had and if she intended uh, uh, against the boom, even in the lifetime of her husband, then we just request Chalitza. So instead of making that distinction between her Kavana and not Kavana, if Logbit Nebedida make a distinction in this very case, isn't that kind of a more significant thing to tell me that we only force him to do chalitza if she had children and then we assume there's no way she was thinking about yibum but if no children then we should uh then it's only a request because we can presume that she did have him in mind so it's very hard sorry very hard to read this um uh, this distinction into the words of the mishnah rather since the mishnah does not make this distinction it makes sense that there this distinction is not is not true and it, may, it doesn't make a difference if she has children or does not have children we do force him because we assume like rav that she is not having her husband in mind, her not having the avam in mind when she makes the vow, not in, not in either case. Shema mina, and so we bring a proof from our Mishnah for this case, for that case as well. Hazran alach bet shamai chazakim uberuchim for completing uh, the thirteenth pedic, and now we go on to the fourteenth pedic. This is a short pedic. It's only going to be two dapim, and we bring all of the mishnayot, mishnayot right up front.
so we're going to talk about lots of different cases, pretty much every uh, possible possible combination of uh, deaf and competent people, whether they are sisters or not related to each other. So we begin with a simpler case, if either of the couple are deaf. So if either of the couple are deaf, then this marriage is only midrabanan. Generally, the rule is that a deaf person cannot um, give a get, uh, but can but a deaf woman can receive a get because it can be given against her will. In Talmudic times. Uh, here, however, if they want to uh, divorce, they can. And if they want to stay married, they can. What's the reason? Because the same way they got married is the same way they got divorced. They got married through some kind of sign language, right? That's even though they couldn't speak. And so, too, they'll get divorced by some sign language. So, whatever the level of marriage is, even if it's only a Dirabanan level, because it's only at the Rabbanan level, therefore they can he, he can give a get even if he is uh, even if he is deaf, uh, he can give a get at at that Rabbanan level, and whatever they did to begin with will work to get out. So all that's fine. Here's the problem: if they were both competent when they got married, and only then she became deaf. If he wants to give her a get, he can, because she uh, a get can be given against her will, so she doesn't have to have competence of mind in order to receive a get. And if he wants, he can stay married. There's nothing, nothing wrong with staying married. But if she becomes insane uh, during the marriage, so then that's a problem because they were married when they were both competent, so it's a biblical level marriage. And here the rabbis were afraid, different from Chereshet, uh, they were afraid that if the, per- if the woman who is not sane will be divorced, then other men will come and abuse her because she's, she's not of capable mind of, of uh, keeping herself safe. And therefore they said, okay, your wife became insane. Sorry, you have to protect her. That's part of, the, uh, part of your obligation. You cannot divorce her. So we're a deaf woman. She'll be able to figure something else out. If he's the one that either became deaf or he became insane, then he does not have the mental capability of giving a get, and therefore they have to remain married. There is no way to break that marriage. Now, we have a machloket. Why are you telling me that a woman who became deaf she can get divorced, but a man who became deaf cannot give a divorce. This doesn't seem to make sense. It should be parallel. It should be the same thing. And um, if it's if one is invalid, then both of them should be invalid. So he seems to want to be more machmir. Uh, but the rabbis tell him, no, not so. The man and the woman are not the same. A woman, a regular case of competent men and woman, a man and woman, she can be, be divorced willingly or unwillingly. Rabbeinu Gershom came around and said, it's not a nice thing to do to divorce one's wife when she's unwilling. Therefore, the law now is that the woman has to agree to receive a get. And that means if she refuses to receive it, then he 
really cannot go ahead and get remarried. It would be very difficult for him to do so. Um, but that's only Takana uh, that happened way after Talmudic times. Uh, so, because he can force her to be divorced, therefore, even if she is uh, deaf or uh, insane, so it's, uh, it's fine. She doesn't have to agree to it anyway. So, her mental capability does not matter. Whereas a man can only give a get willingly. He has to know what he's doing, be willing to do it. And therefore, if he's not of sound mind, he was not able to give a get at all. So the rabbis say, sorry, right, there is an important difference uh, there. And the rabbis are going to give a further proof to this. If uh, there's a testimony for Ben Gud Gada, uh, that a deaf minor whose father marries her off, right? So now she's a minor and she's deaf, so she does not have her own capability, but a father who marries off a daughter is considered a biblical marriage. So she is biblically married, and yet she can receive a get, right? So here's a case where uh, we are constructing a, a case that's similar. And so they say, uh, so the rabbis explain, oh, see, we can use this testimony as a proof for our, for us. This is the same as a woman who is mentally competent, who gets married, creates a biblical marriage, just like a father who marries off a minor who's deaf, it creates a biblical marriage. And just like in that case of the father, she can receive a get, even if she grows up. And so she's now grown up, but she's still deaf and therefore not fully capable, uh, she can receive a get. So too, uh, a competent woman who becomes deaf can receive a get. So, sorry, who wants to prohibit both of those getim, we have a proof that is permitted. All right, uh, the rest of the Mishnah will not have any machalokot, uh, but will bring every possible case. Shene achim chareshin nisuin shte achayot chareshot. In this case, everybody's deaf. Two brothers married to two sisters, and everyone's deaf. Or if the two brothers, what's going to remain the same is the two brothers are deaf, and the two women, the two sisters, may be competent. Or the two uh, women, the sisters, one is deaf and one is competent. But in those cases, at least the two men are uh, deaf. Or this flip flip the other way around, or the two women in this case, the two sisters are deaf, and the two men could be any possibility, either they are competent, or they're both deaf. This is actually the same as the very first case, but we're just filling in every box. Or the 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 brothers, one of them is deaf and one of them is competent. In all these cases, what they all have in common is that they're either both brothers are deaf, and or both sisters are deaf. In this case, since at least one of the partners is deaf, they cannot do chalitza. Um, and also, uh, they, so anyone deaf cannot do chalisa, so that's for sure. But actually, they don't even need to because they are brothers and sisters. Therefore, all of these marriages in all these cases are dirabanan. And since the zika that's created by one of them dying is only midrabanan, but the marriage is also 
only midrabanan. So therefore, everything works out. And just like if they were all competent in Gedolim, um, two brothers married to two sisters, this is prohibited. No Yibum Chalisa, because a person cannot do Yibum with his wife's sister. Uh, that's Erva. And it's Erva, so you just go free. So too, in this case, Everybody and any all possibilities it's going to be a wife's sister, and therefore they can all go free. And all the that edva, although it's only the banan, but that is enough sufficient to undo, reject a zika that is also itself only with banan, because the zika is only as strong as the original marriage was, and therefore they can go ahead and go free. And in these cases, if they if they were not sisters, if the two women were not related to each other, then that would be regular yibum case, and they could even do perform yibum. A deaf person can perform yibum. Right? Yibum needs very very low level of knowledge, and it can be done against a woman's will also. So therefore, being deaf does not prevent yibum. And if they're not married, then that's totally fine. And all this will be at a derabanan level. The original marriage is derabanan, zikaz derabanan, and yibum will be derabanan. and they can get divorced because it's like the first case of the Mishnah where if a deaf person enters into a marriage. Midrabanan, when they're deaf, then so too, they can even give a get um, uh, and undo that Dirabanan. So as long as it's all on the same level, it can work. Next case, two brothers, one deaf, one competent. Married to two women who are competent. So now there's only one deaf person, and that's one of the men. Met Cheresh Baal Hapikachat. So the Cheresh dies, leaving the Yavam would be uh, competent. Maya Sepikach Baal Hapikachat. Tese Mishum Achot Isha. In that case, he is fully married to his wife because they're both Pikrim. And so he has a full marriage, and therefore the Yavama is fully his wife's sister. And therefore, no, no uh, Yibum done, she simply goes free. Met On the other hand, if the other guy, the competent one, dies, leaving the Yavama, the Yavam is a Cheresh. So a Yavam was Cheresh, that is a problem because his marriage is only Bidrabanan, but his Zika is the Oraita. Maya se Cheresh Baal Pikachat, Mosi Ishto Beget, poor guy, he has to divorce his wife. And uh, he can't divorce his wife because they were only married in the Rabbanan, so he can divorce his wife with the Rabbanan, but he has to because he can't remain with his wife since his wife is Achot Zekukato. And with the other, Eshet Achiv Asura Leolam, and the other woman is prohibited to him forever uh, since it is uh, also, he was married even on some level to his wife, so the other woman is on the Rabbanan level his wife's sister. And even after his wife is divorced, unless she dies, he cannot uh, perform yibum. And so he also can't do chalitza because he is deaf. And so uh, that's a problem. She is prohibited forever. Shene, uh, that's a sad case. Okay, Shene achin pikhin, nisuin leshte achayot, achad chereshet vachad pikeach. Now here, flip, the two men are competent. They're married to two sisters, and one of them is deaf. So again, only one deaf person, and now it's one of the women that are deaf. Met pikeach ba'al chereshet, maya se pikeach ba'al pikachat. If the man married, uh, who, uh, who was married to the deaf woman dies, so that that leaves the the deaf woman is a yevama. 
so what should the Yavam do, who is fully married? Well, he's fully married 100%, and the other the other marriage was only Drabanan. Therefore, the Zika is only Drabanan. So for sure, his full marriage will uh, prevent him, that's his wife's full his Doraita, his, his, his wife's sister. So it's full Edva, so that will surely knock out a Zika Drabanan. On the other hand, Met Pikeach Baal Pikachat, Maya Se Pikeach Baal Hachereshet. If the competent man dies, he was fully married, and now that, that leaves this Pikeach who was married to Hereshet, whose, whose marriage is only Drabanan. So this is a problem because his marriage is not strong enough to be his sister-in-law to knock out the zika. So therefore, again, poor guy, he has to divorce his wife, which he can do because it's a same level, marriage, in this case, because he, the Yavam, is uh, competent, he can do chalitza with her, and at least she can go free. Okay, now, two brothers, one is deaf and one is competent. And two sisters, and one is deaf and one is competent. And the deaf one is married to the deaf one. If the deaf one dies, leaving a chereshet to be the yevama, well, then the one that's competent, married to a competent person, their marriage is doraita, and therefore the yevama is his wife's sister. Uh, so for sure she can go free and his Deoraita uh, relation will knock out her de Drabanan Zika. Easy case. But how about the other way? Met Pikach Bal Pikachat if the the say the uh, competent man dies leaving a competent Yevama then the Yavam is deaf. He has a problem because now his own wife is a hot zekukato, so he cannot remain married to his wife. He has to give a get, which he can, because it was married only to Rabbanan level. And he cannot perform, he cannot give chalitza, because he's deaf, he can't do chalitza. He also cannot marry uh, his Yavama because he was, it's, that's his uh, ex-wife's sister, which remains prohibited to him, even though it's only at a banana level. Still, he cannot consummate, uh, he cannot do yibum. Next case, Shene Achim, two brothers again here. Now one is deaf and one is not. Similar to the previous case, but now they are not sisters, but rather two women competent who are not related. So the Cheresh, who was married to the uh, competent woman dies. Uh, so now you have a uh, competent married to competent. So what should he do for his brother? Well, he's totally competent and the sister-in-law is not related. His sister-in-law is not his wife's sister. Um, it's his brother's sister. And so therefore he can do chalitza or yibum and he's competent, so that's fine. And she's competent, so it's totally fine. Met Pikeach Bal Pikachat, on the other hand, if the Pikeach dies, who's married to the Pikachat, so now that leaves uh, the Yevama is um, competent. But now the Yavam is deaf, so what should he do? 
Kones. He can do Yibum, but he, so the, the, since the, uh, the wives are, the, are not related, so he can take, uh, take her as a wife. Uh, that's, the, that's okay, but he can't divorce her because Yibum will create a Deoraita marriage. Even if it's a deaf person, can do Yibum and create a Deoraita marriage. But he doesn't have the power to give a get on the Deoraita level. So they can't leave. He also can't do Chalitza because a deaf person can't give do Chalitza. So he has to do Yibum and he cannot divorce her ever. Shene achin pichin is in the nochriot, achat pikachat, vachat chereshet. So now we have two brothers who are competent, married to two women who are not related to each other, and one is uh, competent and one is deaf. Met pikach baal chereshet. If the competent man died, leaving a yevama who is a, who is deaf. So what should the man do? He's he's competent. His wife is competent. So he's competent. So he can do um, he can do yibum. Can't do chalisa because she is deaf. So good. And he can give a get because he is competent. Doesn't matter that she's not competent. So he has to do yibum. And if he doesn't like her, he doesn't like her, then he can give a get. Met if the deaf man le- dies, leaving a deaf uh, woman, a yevama, then the other pikeach, the fact that he's married to a chereshet, has no has no bearing. So what? That's a drabanan marriage. But this woman is not a sis. Is not the, the wives are not sisters. So he's just doing yibum or chalitza, and uh, that's uh, so that's an easy case. Uh, so now you see, not all of these cases have a big chidush, but the mishnah is necessarily nevertheless going through each and every. Possibility, and lastly, shene achim echad chayresh veechad pikeach nisumishte nochriot echad chereshet veechad pikachat. Now you have two brothers. One of them is deaf, and one of them is uh, competent, and they are married to two women who are not related to each other. And here also, one is deaf and one is competent. So the deaf one, deaf is married to the deaf. met chayresh bal chereshet. The deaf man dies, leaving a yevama who is deaf. So the one who's competent, Kones, uh, they're not related, so the, it doesn't really matter what his his wife is. You have a Pikeach man, and she is Cheresh. So he can't do Chalitza, but he can bring her in. He can marry her. And he can divorce her because he is Pikeach. It doesn't matter that she is a Cheresheth. The other case, Met Pikeach Baal Pikachat. So if, if you leave a Yevama who is Competent, but the Yavam is Cheresh Kones. So a Cheresh, he can't do Chalitza, but he can do a Yibum, because even Cheresh can do Yibum. Kones, but even though he can marry her fully, he cannot give a get, so he brings her in, but can never divorce her. All right, we got every single case, and that will end off with uh, um, the beginning of the um, uh, explanation of the Mishnah. This is not related directly to Mishnah, more general question. Um, what is the reason why the rabbis made a, the, a possibility of a Dirabanan marriage for a deaf man and a deaf woman? Um, we see in the cases above that when you have such a such a case, you nevertheless, nevertheless even though so Dirabanan marriage, Chalitza does apply to them. 
they can't do chalitza, but if one of them dies, so the chalitza has to be done for, uh, uh, for them. So there is this institution that the rabbi has made for deaf people. Whereas a man and a woman who are both not not sane, uh, there is no even not even on a rabbinic level is there marriage for them. What's the reason? Now, how do we know that this is, in fact, true before we know why? Well, we see a baraita that says, shote, uh, or a minor, or uh, that marry a woman, um, and so if the man, as long as the man is one of these, and they marry woman, any woman, um, uh, and they die uh, without children, their wives do not perform, have to do yibum or chalitza. In other words, we don't recognize the marriage at all. Um, and so this shote and katan, the wives of the shote and katan can just go free. We, we consider their marriage no significance. Whereas Cheresh, uh, married to a Cheresheth, if he dies without children, she does. We do have to do Yibum. Even though it's only the Rabbanan level, we have to, we have to do a Yibum for her. So what is the difference between these cases? The answer is Cheresh v'Cheresheth Kaimah because the people, when the people are mute, the, they can fulfill the ordinance of the sages. Meaning, when the rabbis say, we'll make a dirabanan type of marriage, um, uh, they, uh, even though they're deaf and it's difficult for them to communicate, they can live happily ever after and have a successful marriage. And therefore, it makes sense that we should, even if the Bible doesn't recognize it, it makes sense that the rabbis should make an institution so that they can live uh, uh, in um, in uh, uh, as a couple but for um, uh, 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 for someone who is not sane uh, then uh, the rabbis aren't going to even bother making such an, such an institution because a person cannot live for example with a snake in one basket uh, expression to mean that you're not going to live happily with uh, with a snake in one basket. So too with someone who is not sane and just cannot does not act normally, it's impossible to maintain a marriage, maintain a relationship, and therefore there's no point in the rabbis making a, an institution for them. since it won't be fulfilled anyway. Okay, good. Now next case, nisuin a a minor boy cannot enact a marriage. Why not? Whereas a deaf man, adult, can enter into a marriage. The reason is because because a deaf person is going to remain deaf their, their whole lives. And so they're never going to be able to perform a Deoraita Nisuin. So the rabbi said, we got to help him out and we'll make a, we'll make a new institution of uh, marriage for a deaf person. But a minor boy, okay, he wants to get married, good, just wait, and then you'll be able to do a full Deoraita marriage. There's no need to make an institution especially for a boy since he can simply grow up.
All right, well then the same the same should be true for a minor woman. But a minor girl, we do, the rabbis do make an institution and a minor girl can be married. Uh, so what's the difference? Why don't we tell her, okay, just wait till you grow up. And the answer is that right there she can grow up and the rabbis make an uh, institution. Why? As we saw before, the rabbis were concerned that um, if she is an orphan, her father's not there for, to protect her, people will treat her like ownerless property. She will be mistreated by uh, men and therefore to protect her, we, the rabbis made an institution of marriage for a minor girl um, for her protection, whereas for a boy, that's not needed. And lastly, how come a minor girl has the right of refusal? Uh, why don't they make the same since when they make the institution of marriage for a deaf person, why don't they also allow her to refuse her husband at any time? And the answer is dimken mimna velanasbila. If you if there's a, always a right of refusal, then the men would refrain from marrying her at all because a man's not going to want to enter into a marriage knowing that at any moment uh, the the deaf woman can come and say, "Oh, I don't like him," and that's it. He leaves. So there's, there's too little commitment. Whereas the minor, although she can do it as long as she's a minor, but you know that there's an end to it. Once she becomes an adult, then she cannot refuse anymore. Uh, so therefore, it makes sense to give a minor the right of refusal and not the deaf person. Baruch Adonai Amen